Lord, we thank you for the faithful ministry of Phil, of Dad, in our lives uh, and in the, the lives of the people of this community over a number of years, Lord, and we, we ask that you would speak faithfully through him today, that your spirit would be upon him and that he'd speak your words, but also that your, your spirit would be upon us to receive those words and to be changed by them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, well, good morning, all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. If I could get a sore neck preaching in this church. It's okay. So last week, you, if you were here last week, um, we looked at the, uh, the passage preceding this in chapter 14. And there was some pretty heavy stuff in that. Um, hard words, uncomfortable words. Uh, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. They're words that I think all of us need to, to read pretty regularly because as I was preparing last week's sermon, it, I, I, I had an overwhelming feeling that, uh, I, gee, I'm... I'm not really living up to this, um, even though you know it wasn't new stuff to me. It wasn't as if it was the first time I'd ever read it or anything. But it, when I read those words, it uh, it, it pulls one into gear. It um, they they are they are tough words. They're they're very necessary words that we all need to hear. It's kind of like large doses of the law last week. Well, to balance that, this week, we've got large doses of grace. Um, and I'm sure that the Lord Jesus arranged his word so that that was the case. This week, we've got tax collectors and sinners gathering around. The tax collectors, the most despised of people in Israel. They're actually still not that popular, are they? Uh, I mean, I'm very thankful for, the, for our... Uh, for the Australian taxation officer even though they take large amounts of money off me pretty regularly it, they, I'm sure they're doing it honestly and I'm sure the, the money is being mostly put to, to good use uh, we're very fortunate to live in a country where that is the case but that wasn't so in Israel at the time of Jesus the tax collectors were despised because they were, they were Jews who were appointed by the, the Romans to collect tax and the way they, they made an income for themselves was to take a percentage. Now, the percentage wasn't um, set by anyone. They just took whatever they thought they could get away with. And so they were Jews who were hated by their fellow Jews who would have probably cheerfully killed them if they could have, except that they feared the power of Rome. They'd seen and heard people screaming in agony as they were crucified for daring to stand up against the power of Rome. They saw what the Romans did for those who opposed them. And with the tax collectors, we're told, were, were sinners. And here it refers to people who lead an immoral life, um, probably similar to those we still regard in that way, the thieves, prostitutes, um, drunks, that sort, of, that sort of person. And Jesus welcomed them 
and he even ate with them. And no wonder that the Pharisees uh, grumbled. That's what the ESV says, grumbled, and the, and the NIV says muttered. So you can sort of hear them in the background muttering and, and grumbling about what's this fellow doing. They considered it sinful to even associate with, it, with someone who didn't keep the law. Um, as an example of this, if we, if we flicked over to Acts chapter 10 where Peter is in the, the house of Cornelius, where he's for the first time he's having to associate with Gentiles because God told him to, uh, he, he, he says, well, you are, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even visit him. That, that's the way it was. So anybody who didn't keep the law and the tax collectors and the sinners would have fallen into that category. They were, they were not, the, 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 a correct Jew was not even to associate with them, let alone go and have a meal with them. That, that was the... You know, that, that, that's like saying that you agree with them, that, you, that, that you're welcoming them. <coughs> but take careful note of why the tax collectors and sinners were there. Now, this, this is a really important bit. They were drawing near to hear him. There in verse 1, they were drawing near to hear him. Now, remember the last week we had Jesus talking about the cost of discipleship. And... The last thing he said in that passage was, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see that in the last verse of chapter 14. We have to be careful that we don't allow the division between chapter 14 and 15 to mislead us here. Because, of course, the chapters weren't there in the original. And so when Luke wrote this, he would have intended it to read like this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. So the tax collectors and sinners wanted to hear. That's what they were there for. Um, the, the Pharisees didn't. They were like the, the, the people that Isaiah prophesied about. They, they, they hear but didn't hear. They, they saw but didn't see. The Pharisees didn't want to hear. That, they, um, because if they hear and they really hear, then they would have had to give up everything that they held dear. Their prestige, their power their feeling of superiority. Uh, and I'm sure that there were some, probably some of the tax collectors and sinners who were prepared, who were, uh, they, they were not prepared to pay the cost either. But for them, for the tax collectors and sinners, it was all gain. They, they, they would have known that their lives were a complete mess, um, that all their attempts to find happiness and fulfilment had failed. But, but they could see no way out, no way back. Sin just keeps digging a bigger and a deeper hole. But then, here is this Jesus. He's different. He hasn't come to condemn me. He actually sounds like he cares about me. He hasn't come to put a load on me that I can't carry. He sounds like he wants to help. Well, chapter 15 of Luke has these three well-known parables. It's surely one of the most loved bit of bits of the New Testament. The lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. They all show the, the care and the concern and the grace and the love that our Father has for his children who are lost. And if that is how God sees sinners, well, then we must also not think that anybody is outside of God's care. <coughs> 
no matter how much of a sinner they are. Well, the first <coughs> parable, the lost sheep. Living in a farming community, we tend to think that we've got a bit of a, an advantage over our city cousins here because we understand these things. We understand sheep. We, we know all about them. But actually, the way they kept sheep in first century Palestine had not much to do with the way we do it. Um, no, there were, there were no fences. There was uh, common ownership of the grazing land. The grazing land was the land that nobody else wanted to, to grow crops on because it just wasn't good enough. And so the owner of the sheep, he cares, he cares for them himself. He, he is, in this case, their, their shepherd. He's not like the hired hand who runs away if the wolf comes. These, these are his sheep and he's not easily going to give them up. Of course, we're reminded of, of King David. You remember when, when David went to fight Goliath and he told Saul that he was, King Saul that he would kill Goliath and Saul was a bit sceptical. And David said, when I look after my sheep, a bear and a lion come. And they take, a, take one of the lambs. But I go after him and seize him by the hair and strike him and kill him because the Lord is with me. So David, of course, was the prototype, the, the, the type of the Messiah, which Jesus is. He is, the, he is the good shepherd. He knows each one of his sheep by name. They follow him and he leads them to good pasture. But even with all this care, inevitably there's going to be the odd one that decides that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And so they want to fill their bellies with that extra little bit of grass and so they get lost. They're not satisfied with the f good food that their shepherd provides for them. And they become separated from the flock and separated from their shepherd. But what does the shepherd do? Well, he says 99 out of 100 is not bad. No, he doesn't, does he? That's what I'd say. The, the way we run sheep in Australia is on percentages. We, it's simply not economic for us to, to be with them all the time, to protect every one of them, so we accept some loss. But not this good shepherd. He leads the 99 sheep who are safe. They're safe in the flock. And he searches for the one that's lost. And he, he doesn't just search, he searches until he finds it. And then he puts it on his shoulders and goes home rejoicing. And he tells everyone else how happy he is. All because of one sheep. You'd expect him to rejoice because of the 99 that, that were good sheep. And I'm sure he does. But no, it's the bad one, the wanderer, the one that ignored the shepherd. Well, really, this parable doesn't need much explaining, does it? But it doesn't stop me explaining it, but it's fairly obvious. Um, I mean, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He, he not only cares about the lost sheep, he act actively seeks them out. God is not just passively sitting back and waiting for us to decide. He goes after us. I don't know what your experience of coming to the Lord was, but... When I look back on um, 1989 when uh, Shelley and I both came to the Lord, afterwards I thought, I, I didn't actually do anything. You know, God put this proposition in front of me. He made it really obvious so that I, I would have been absolutely stupid not to take it. 
no, no sensible person would. In the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. Look, parables aren't meant to be detailed theological explanations. It's the main picture we're after. It's like a, 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 an impressionist painting where you stand back and look at it and you get the impression. So don't get too tied up with wondering about the 99 righteous. Who are they? since we know that there is none righteous, not even one. But perhaps they're meant to represent the church, those who, who are righteous because God has made them so. They have been redeemed and so they belong to God. They're safe and if they wander, God will seek them out also. Well then, the, as often the case, Jesus has a, a pair of similar parables, the lost coin which really just reinforces the message. I mean, everybody here, could, I'm sure, could tell a story about losing something, something valuable, and the pleasure they had in finding it. Uh, we lost John once in Harris Scarfs just before Christmas. He was about three, four years old. He was only a toddler. You know, we were very careless parents. But our excuse was we, had, we did have five kids and you know, it was difficult. And Harris Garth was absolutely packed. And, we, and as you do, you, get, you start to worry a bit because we, we sent, sent our two oldest kids to look for him. We went off to look for him. We looked everywhere. We couldn't find him. Uh, and we just got to the stage of going to the, to the management and telling them uh, in a very worried state when he just kind of wandered up and there he was. John lives in a world of his own, you know. He's kind of... <laughs> Anyway, we found him. And the longer something's missing and the harder it is to find, the more pleasure there is in finding it. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know what it feels like to find something valuable. And there's a whole world out there of lost people who need to hear. But the really intriguing thing, I think, about these, both these parables is the part that the lost sheep and the lost coin play in being found. They don't do anything, nothing at all. The coin doesn't even know it's lost and the sheep probably doesn't care until the wolf comes along. The focus in, in both parables is on the Lord Jesus, represented by the shepherd in one parable and the woman in the other. He's not idly sitting back and wondering where his lost children are. He actively seeks them out and he doesn't give up. He searches until he finds what is lost. His love is not just, oh, I love my lost sheep and I wish I could find him. No, he seeks, he looks over hill and dale until he finds the one that is lost. And once he's found it, he doesn't slap it around the head and say, you stupid sheep, as much as that might be justified. That, that, that's what I'd do. He doesn't even make it walk home. No, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and carries it back to the others. And then the Lord Jesus, who is in heaven, rejoices with his friends and his neighbours in heaven. I've found my lost sheep. 
Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He's not like the hired hand who runs away when he sees the wolf or the bear and leaves his sheep unprotected. Jesus is the good shepherd. He owns the sheep. His sheep know him and they follow him. Spurgeon tells the story of of a young Chinese man, Yam Singh, who turned up at a church in San Francisco and asked to be admitted to membership. And it was that sort of church where the elders examined him and his English wasn't very good. And they, they said, how did you find Jesus? They were kind of a bit sceptical. How did you find Jesus? And he replied, I know find, he find me. There's, there's passages like this throughout scripture, of course. Um, Ezekiel chapter 34 This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. And we finish with the scripture from John. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never die. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Amen.